welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. And now, the rest of our interview with Linda Aber. So, Linda, let me just clarify for myself about this. So, because this is advanced vagal system information, and one of the things that's helpful is I get to see you, and people who are listening don't necessarily see you. So, I'm going to do my version of what I just heard you say, which is basically that the original, if you start on the upper part of your system, which is your head, your neck, that's the part that can connect you with the parasympathetic system. Your vagal system is the parasympathetic system. It's like the basis of it, but it's there's three parts to it. The top, which is the social vagal. So think of your head, you know, your voice, your, you know, your larynx. But then what happens is, and you're socially connecting to your kids and yourself. And you're feeling good. That's your self-care, right? When I do something that makes me feel good, I'm up here. When I'm, I'm watching TV or I'm um, going for a walk with my dog, petting my dog, this is where I am. When we tell people to do self-care, it's all about being here and having a parasympathetic. But then when we're triggered, we can go down into sympathetic or into dorsal, so anxiety and and uh, anger, and then a more difficult feeling where we shut down, where we don't immobilize. Think of depression. Think of burnout. Think of trauma, post-traumatic stress. How do we get ourselves up to feeling better? We need to be able to always want to go up. <laughs> right. Does that help? That helps. And, and you know, it's just interesting because the first thought I had is the up is also your head, which is that's the place where you could actually do decision making and you have choices. And once you get past that, you're actually more automatic and reactive because you're not able to process and think from below your neck, basically. That's more reactive. And so we talk about this all the time, which is if you're reactive, you're the least effective, you're in the least effective response position that you could possibly be in. So what you want is to bring choice into this. And it sounds like the higher you go up, the more choices you have. And it also sounds like from connection, first with yourself and then with others, you have more choices. And that once you lose connection, then you actually lose conscious choice. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Sounds good to me. Thanks for clarifying it. And then add in the piece that we talked about at the very beginning, the trauma that we're experiencing and the past traumas that are basically hidden, that we're really not even aware of, that we're feeling when our loved ones trigger us. And that's what makes it really difficult. But it's really understanding yourself. The work we have to do with ourselves to be able to help us and help our kids, help our loved ones. Absolutely. And it's so, it's worth saying, this is not easy. I mean, to not react. I know in my case, there was so many years of, well, you know, childhood trauma, but then as an adult, not looking inward, not really figuring the stuff out for myself. So I find myself in my late thirties, you know, very reactive. And at the point where I did need a psychopharmaceutical. I needed some kind of help to stop that reactivity and create the little bit of a pause that was so critical in setting out in a different direction in that moment. 
because I always would go the same way, right? That's what we're saying. We're, we're stuck if we're reactive, we're pretty much reacting the same way to a whole lot of things. And that reaction is an old reaction. We're stuck in it. We're stuck. You said it, we're stuck and it becomes a habit. And many times we don't understand it. We feel bad after. I love your description, Dominique, because I also think that when we're dealing with complex and constant trauma or constant feelings like we have to stay vigilant, it's really hard to climb that ladder. And I think that family members dealing with substance use disorder and, and the repeated trauma of it, you hear families talk about it and say, I can't get out of this state. And I think that's kind of getting stuck on the ladder somewhere, getting stuck somewhere and not able to climb the ladder and get up higher on the ladder. And I'm sure cortisol levels come into play, but I hear this all the time where your cortisol levels rise, they don't fall as quickly as they rise. And so if they haven't fallen to like a homeostasis and the next crisis comes along, your cortisol level rises. And I wonder if that isn't an indication of the family member never quite recovers, never quite gets up on the ladder. And it, it gives you that feeling of I'm stuck here. And then with what Dominique said, I think is an important piece. I also had to, through this process, use pharmaceuticals to help me get to some form of being able to then start to deal with what was going on on the inside. And I think it's an important piece for a lot of family members to understand you're going through a lot. Absolutely. As a nurse, thank goodness for pharmaceuticals. It changes a life. My son's bipolar. Without his meds, he wouldn't have a life. You know, he'd be in the hospital. And you do whatever you need to do. And thank goodness for pharmaceuticals. And people should never be afraid of them, never be embarrassed. We need it. We need it to be able to help us. And it changes life, our life and the life for our family members. I, I just want to say one more thing, because I feel like we're talking a lot about being parents. And I just want to be really clear that the same dynamic is true with any loved one that you're dealing with. It's like when, when people are exhibiting difficult behavior or their own reactivity, this happens in all relationships. It is not specific. And the other thing is that it's it's not just about parents, but the other thing that we really need to think about is when one of the biggest tools that we talk about all the time is pause. And it's interesting with your Impala metaphor that even while they had the teeth digging into their neck, they were pausing. <laughs> So it might look like freezing, but they were actually pausing. And there's something about that that actually is very, very helpful because pausing actually gives you a chance to collect yourself. And the other thing is that with this trauma-based reaction and our reactivity, it doesn't have to be the big reactions that people have or the terrible behaviors. This happens with everybody that we're involved with. Our trauma plays out with all of our relationships. It's just when we have somebody who's in this crisis mode all the time, it's a higher level of it. But the thing that I love about working on trauma and working on reactivity and working on old wounds is that it affects everything. 
It affects every choice that we make, every relationship we, that we have. So for me, it's sometimes more helpful to practice on the less crisis-oriented relationships that we have. So we're building up these skills so that when push comes to shove and when things get really difficult, we're already ready and revved up in a positive way to react as opposed to waiting for these crisis moments to be our best. Can I just add one piece of context that we talked about, which is the level of danger. For anybody who is not a family member, I don't think they understand the danger and the risk and the, and the decisions and how much you feel responsible for your own decision in this context of high risk. And it's high risk that's daily, that's your own finances, their finances, their future, their life, your well-being. This is the currency that you're dealing with when you're interacting with a loved one with addiction because they threaten so much for themselves. They threaten so much for you. And so this isn't just a simple interaction. This is a super loaded interaction. And it's very important that you start to look at it and try to shift it a little bit despite this overall immediate context of the danger that you're both in. And I like what you said about the pause. I find that a lot of people, I think in pictures, and I find a lot of people when I say the word pause, they don't always get it. So I talk about unplugging, give them a visual of a toaster, unplugging so there's no energy. It's just resting, cooling down, and they kind of like get it. So that's another visual I wanted to share with you guys. I also think, I think it's really important to also bridge what Kayla was talking about, bridge that for the ally or for the family member to bridge this idea that you're learning to do it in the less, the less chaotic crisis, big moments. You're practicing kind of when things are a little bit more low key and you can handle it better, but also helping to bridge that for family members, that that's why you're doing it. Because I think it takes a long time for the family member to understand. It took me a long time to get that self-care is about in the moment when things are really, really difficult. This is when I need to take care of myself. And so I didn't understand this concept for, I'm going to say it took me at least two to three years before I finally got, oh, this is what people are talking about when they're saying self-care. It's in the moment and self-care often doesn't feel good, right? I always had this feeling like I was going to go and take care of myself so that I could feel all lovely and wonderful and you know, sprinkle fairy dust around and we were going to appreciate a lovely sunset. And it's not, it's understanding that actually it's just toning things down so that I can manage it better. And it's in the moment. So I'm going to practice it with these smaller moments. So that when I get to those bigger moments or the more challenging moments, I will be better practiced at it. I like that. And it's true. You, you know, I mean, any kind of technique that you want to use with your kids you'd never use it in the moment you have to practice it when it's a good moment a healthy moment or a little problem you're right so our nervous system bears the brunt of all of what we're going through right all of our emotions all of our reactions the trauma that we're feeling 
and it needs a break the same way our body needs to be hydrated and we drink water. We need to be able to, first of all, have the knowledge, which is what we talked about in the beginning, and find simple ways to build in rest, rejuvenation, and resilience, because that's really essential. So it's helpful to learn how to switch to safety and openness, how to climb up that ladder to that the ventral vagal dominance. So we're not in that threatened survival, sympathetic or dorsal. We need to be able to go back to the safety. And so we have to think of it as an on and off switch. It's another visual I like to think of. So how can we climb that ladder and help us self-regulate? So the pause, unplugging is really important. Being able to identify your triggers and identify your feelings. That's where Daniel Siegel, who, who wrote The Whole Brain Child and a host of other parenting books, talks about name it to tame it. Once you name what you're feeling, that's the beginning of self-regulation. Just being aware that you're being triggered and how you're feeling about it. And then consider the story that you're telling yourself in your head, right? I mean, I talk about my committee in my head all the time <laughs> that are telling me things. I'll go grocery shopping and I'll get to the cash and there's a whole big line at the cash. But when I walked into the grocery store, I was like maybe one of two people in the store. Everyone's following me. <laughs> I talk to myself about the stories. So you can imagine, you know, all the stories that we hear in our head all day, especially when we're going through difficult times with our loved ones. And I engage in positive self-talk. I think that to me is really important. I like to tell myself when I'm feeling unsafe that I am safe. I take time to center myself and ground myself. This took a lot of, I'm not 100%. I mean, we're only human. We make mistakes, right? But this was a huge learning for me and a huge practice for me. Grounding myself, being in the present moment, knowing that I really am safe. Getting out of my head, into my body. And using a tool, which I'm going to share some of the tools that I love to use. And then once I'm regulated, and I see my loved one who's dysregulated, I choose how I'm going to respond to be able to co-regulate them. Because we can't co-regulate anyone if we're dysregulated. And I also like to embrace positive emotions. And so when I'm ready to co-regulate, I bring in compassion for my loved one. Because if they're using, if they've just used or after use, as we talk about, you know, in the allies craft model, we have to decide how we're going to respond to them. And it's usually with self-compassion for ourselves. I'm not going to get into the act of use and stepping in and stepping out, but I decide how I'm going to respond in that situation. So name it to tame it, really important. We need to be able to understand what our triggers are. Is it from right now or is it from the past? if you're aware of your triggers from the past, and naming it. Also, being in the present moment, we go into our head, and it's like this movie that, you know, we can't stop, and it's exploding with fireworks, you know, so we need to be able to get into that present moment. 
So the five grounding tool is really beautiful. And you can do it with me. Look around the room and notice five things. And now notice four things that you feel. Could be the seat on your chair, your back on your chair, your hands on your on the armrest. Could be the floor you're standing on, your clothing. Four things you feel. And then three things you hear, two things you smell, and one thing that you taste. And that brings you back into the present moment. That's also a lovely tool to be able to teach your loved ones. One of the lovely and quick ways to retune your vagal nerve is to hum. So if you hum, mm, you're going to feel that vibration in your nose, in your throat, and you're fine-tuning your vagal nerve. Or singing. Same thing with singing. Last weekend, I love singing. It's my passion. When I'm going through a stressful time, I realize I don't sing anymore. So what I did was I put karaoke on on my cell phone, and I sang for about an hour and a half. My husband was giggling when he heard me. <laughs> but you know what? I felt so good. You know, it's things that you love, and it fine-tuned my vagal system. It really helped me. So humming and singing, this is my go-to. I have to share that with you. It's called grounding self-hug. And while we were talking today, you saw me holding my shoulder. So this is a somatic experiencing technique from Peter Levine. And I find myself when I talk to people, when I'm at work with clients, families, this really helps me, helps contain me. So what you do is you take your dominant hand, mine is my right hand, put it underneath your opposite arm, hugging your, holding your heart near your heart, but it's under your arm. And then take your left hand and put it on the opposite shoulder and close your eyes. Give yourself a tight hug. And basically what you're doing is you're getting out of your head because you know your head is not your container. Your container is your body. So we need to come back to grounding and containment. So give yourself a hug and take in a gentle breath and repeat to yourself, I'm safe, I'm okay, I'm loved. How do you guys feel doing that? I love it. <laughs> it's delicious. Oh, I love that word. <laughs> so I find myself doing that a million times a day. It just really helps me. It reminds me of, you know, how they say that if you smile, if you aren't feeling good, but you just put a smile on your face, it actually sends signals to your brain and makes you feel better. It kind of reminds me that only bigger, giving a self-hug is kind of like very comforting, very cocoon-like. There's another tool that that reminded me of, which is when you cross your arms so that your hands are hitting both of your shoulders and you just tap one at a time. Yes. How did you know, Kayla? That's the next one. Oh. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> it's so interesting as a therapist, watching people just do this automatically. And the other thing is that people just tap themselves. And it's interesting where they, because I learned this other tapping form of therapy and where people naturally tap is their self-soothing spot. And it's fascinating because it's almost like your body knows what it needs. And so 
people tap their chest or they'll tap their forehead or next to their ear. And that's a very intense self-soothing technique. Absolutely. What you described was what I call the butterfly tap, the bilateral flat tap. So you take your two hands and you have your two palms facing towards you and you kind of like move them over. So your right hand is to your left, your left hand is to the right. Intertwine your thumbs, place them on your chest and very slowly tap each side with your eyes closed. Just breathing in and out very, very gently. And continue tapping. And it's bilateral. Feel it left brain, right brain. It's also very soothing. Or your shoulders. Put your arms on your shoulders and tapping. This is another one from Peter Levine, all about retuning your vagal, which I really love. Put your right hand on your forehead and your left hand on your chest. Close your eyes and just breathe in and out very, very gently. And you can. Say to yourself, I'm feeling safe, I'm feeling calm. And continue breathing. And then keep the left hand on your chest, but move your right hand from your forehead to your belly. Just continue breathing and repeat the same positive phrases. I'm safe, I'm calm. And what Kayla was talking about when she talked about tapping, there is a technique called EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. I have to tell you, there's two techniques that I use to go to bed every night to fall asleep because I have a very difficult time falling asleep, and EFT is one of them. So it's difficult to explain it <laughs> without seeing a picture, but there's places on your body that you're going to tap. So if you put your two hands together like a karate chop, you're tapping, and then you take your two fingers, your first and second finger, and you place it on top of your head. So I call that the chimney. And then place it on uh, your eyebrow and tap the side of your eye, underneath your eye, underneath your nose, underneath your chin, on your chin, on your collarbone, and then underneath your arm. And you can repeat, you know, when, when I want to go, you can do it for anxiety, anger. Go on YouTube and look up uh, Emotional Freedom Technique. There's a lot of videos. But how I fall asleep is I'm tapping. And every time I'm tapping a different part, very gently, I'm saying I'm sleeping. I'm really tired. I'm going to go to sleep. Actually, the very first part is loving kindness before I get to the second part. Even though I'm having a difficult time falling asleep, I love myself. Even though I'm having a difficult time and I really want to go to sleep, I really love and respect myself. And then I go into, I'm sleeping, I'm sleeping. Um, but there's a lot of different scripts to use. I'm yawning by the time I get to my under, you know, my under my eye. <laughs> and the more you do it, the more it becomes habitual and I'll fall asleep doing that. Another technique is focusing on an object. And what you gals can't see is the object that I'm focusing on is it's a bowl that has been broken. And it's a Japanese art called kintsuki. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. And the whole object, the whole uh, reasoning of this art is they believe that if you take something that's broken 
and you repair it with glue and they use golden glue, it forms a pattern of the break with gold in it. And it makes the object even more beautiful when broken. I think that is such a beautiful metaphor for parenting because we're going to have a lot of disconnections. It's only normal to have arguments and conflicts. But when we make that repair as a parent, when we connect with our children, our relationship is even more beautiful. So I focus on an object. Right now I'm looking at a statue of two elephants in my house. I have a baby and a mother. And just stare at an object in your room. Look at its shape. Look at its texture. Look at the light that hits it. Just being present. And it's very, very calming to be able to use that. You can do an exercise where you're grounding yourself also. Everybody, I'd love you to, I'm going to invite you to sit back in your chair. Close your eyes. Take a breath in and out very gently from one to five. And notice your feet on the floor. Notice the feeling of your feet grounding, being on the floor. Notice the pressure, the part of your foot that feels the most pressure. And take a breath in, take a breath out, and say to yourself, I'm feeling safe. Now notice your seat and how it is feeling on your chair, where you have the most pressure. Take a breath in and take a breath out. Notice your feet. Notice your seat. Now notice your back against the chair. Take a breath in and out. Notice your neck and your posture. Lift your chin up a little bit so you feel like you're sitting straight. You're being pulled towards the sky. Notice your feet. Notice your seat. Notice your back. I'm safe. I'm loved. And take another deep breath in and out. And when you're feeling ready, open your eyes and come join us again. I'm totally relaxed. <laughs> We're up that ladder in that social, that engagement, social engagement part of the vagus nerve. Now, here's the second technique that I use to help me fall asleep at night. It's called 4444 breathing. I don't know if any of you have ever heard it. It's kind of like a box, right? Box breathing. So uh, you exhale to the count of four. And then you, you, when you're exhaling, you're holding your lungs empty for the count of four. And then you're inhaling to the count of four, holding in your breath for the count of four, and then exhaling for the count of four. So you can imagine a square. So you're inhaling at one point, holding it, exhaling, holding it, inhaling, holding it, and exhaling and holding it. And then it's just beginning a pattern. By the time I do it three times, I do the my tapping first, and then I do my breathing, I fall asleep. I used to say to my husband at the very beginning when I was using it, I don't remember anything. All I know is I'm sleeping. So I'm going to invite you guys to use it. And another technique that I use that definitely helps us fine tune our vagal is something called heart math. I'm a practitioner in heart math. Heart math is all about heart rate variability. 
our heart beats and heart variability is all parasympathetic, right? So our heart beats usually in kind of like a regular kind of pattern, but the in-between beats, the interval between the beats is your heart rate variability. And that is not always even. And it can be high and it can be low. And so when we are in a state of being out of sync, what's happening when we're in a reactive state where we're bringing in negative emotions like fear, anxiety, disappointment, rage, our heart rate variability is very, very irregular. But when we bring in positive emotions, that's why the positive is so important. When we bring in love, when we feel compassion, when we feel kindness, any kind of positive emotion helps to regulate your heart rate variability. So one thing I love about heart math is I always look for tools that are inexpensive. I have a lot of clients who come to me, tell me that they, you know, they go for biofeedback and they spend like over $150 a session and they sign up for 20 to 30 sessions. They're spending a lot of money and the equipment is in the practitioner's office. So heart math has a little, and you don't have to buy it. I do the, I did the exercises without buying it until I decided to train in it. It has a little gizmo, which is your own individual. Basically it's biofeedback. It's on your phone. You plug it in your phone. It's a free app and it's a little doohickey that you put on your ear and it picks up your heart rate. And you can be in a red zone where you're out of sync. And then by doing an exercise that I'm going to share with you, because you don't need the apparatus to do the exercises. But I love about having the apparatus and it's not expensive. I think it's about a hundred and something and it's yours. (laughs) The, The thing is you can see yourself go from a red zone to a green zone. So you can change your, I always say to kids when I'm teaching them how to do it, Look, you're in a red zone. You have the ability. Bring in the positives, do the breathing, and you have the ability to get yourself back in sync. And they do it. And they use it for a test. I've now brought it into schools. Schools that have tablets are using it in the classroom whenever a kid becomes dysregulated. And so I'm hearing some really good feedback about it being used not only in homes with parents and parents themselves who need it, who want to be able to regulate themselves, it becomes a habit. Then you don't even need it. You just put your hand on your heart. But let me share with you what I want you to uh, practice. So there's three steps in one of the techniques called coherence technique, the quick coherence technique. So we know we're always in our head, right? Telling ourselves stories, right? So we need to be able to get out of our head into our heart. So the first step is heart focus. So everybody put your hand on your heart. That precious little heart that beats a million times a day, and without it, we would not exist. And we really don't give it all that gratitude and appreciation. So we will now with this exercise. So you have your hand on your heart. That's your first step. Your second step is close your eyes, and we're going to do some heart breathing. So very gently, we're going to breathe in and out to the count of five. And as we're breathing, I would like you to visualize the air going in and out of your heart. Your heart is breathing. And the third step I'd like you to, is called heart feeling. I'd like you to bring in a feeling, a positive feeling, or even recall a feeling or a time 
when you felt appreciation or love or compassion for somebody in your life. Be a child, could be a pet, be a place that you felt safe in, but bring in that positive feeling of love, appreciation, or compassion and anchor it into your heart. And then once you feel calm, imagine that you are sharing that feeling. It's radiating out of your body to your loved one. And every time you bring in a positive feeling, your heart goes back into coherence. It goes back into sync. And it really beautifully fine-tunes your vagal nerve. How do you feel? I didn't know my heart could breathe. It's... <laughs> oh, I have to tell you something. You can really send it through the heart. That's... Yes. Well, the Heart Math Institute, basically, you know, many years ago, the kind of work that they do, they basically say that the heart is not just a pump. The heart is a hormonal gland. It produces more oxytocin than the brain. And think about it. When you see a picture of a baby or you see a little infant or a puppy and you go, oh, you feel it right here. Your heart is producing oxytocin. Anytime there's a positive emotion, it's a fabulous tool. You know, let's say you have a home that, you know, parents, parents want to be able to fine tune their vagal system and they become dysregulated. It's something that, let me see. Okay. You don't see it, but look, it's picking up my heart rate. Oh, yeah. I know that our, our listeners can't see it, but we can see it. It's actually... It's like EKG. Do you see the green? When I'm in green, I'm coherent. I'm, my, I'm at the highest. I'm in my vagal, my social engagement. I'm feeling fine. And this tool, when the medallion, which is a colored medallion, enlarges, I breathe in. And when it reduces, I breathe out. So it guides you on how to breathe. Well, right now I'm in the red because I'm doing a lot of talking, but I can get myself into the green. Do you see? Yep. Now you're going green. And you, oh yeah, and I can do this. I like to practice it at least 10 to 15 minutes every morning. The beautiful thing is you can tell when you're in your sympathetic and you can tell when you're in your social engagement. It's a lovely tool to be able to help you. So where, where, where would you get it? Yeah, where can people go? Heartmath.org. And this one in, that attaches to your telephone and your... Your iPad. Tablets or I, iPad uh, is called the Inner Balance. It's the Bluetooth Inner Balance. It tells you how long you're in a state of coherence, how long you're in your upper vagal, it tells you your heart rate. It's a beautiful, beautiful tool. You can see why it would help in classrooms, right? And life. Instead of kids being sent down to the principal's office or to the resource room, they just go and sit in the back of the room. They do a minute and a half of just doing their, their heart math exercise, and they come right back to their desk. So what's interesting listening to you, Linda, is that you say that when you're doing it, when you're in the right mode, you're in coherence, your coherence. And it just made me realize that the opposite of that is incoherent. Okay. And what we need to realize is that when we're reactive and we're trying to communicate, we're actually incoherent. It's like, we're trying to get a message across, but we're a mess. And the other person can't understand it's because we're in a mess and we're incoherent. So the goal here is 
the coming of the system, the going to the moving up the ladder is for coherence. So you're getting your heart in order, your vagal system in order. Everything is in operation to get you to be in coherence. And it's so interesting that it's the same word, but detached. So detach the in from this so that you can be coherent. And that when you're coherent, your system is regulated in a positive way. You're able to convey whatever message you want to convey much more effectively. You're in connection with yourself. And then that allows you to be in connection with your loved one. And that is the goal of this is to be in connection, you have to be coherent. So I love the fact that now we're matching these two up because coherence is such a great word because it really is about calming, soothing, making sense, being able to be completely present and not having all of the, as I like to call mess, coming through you and being basically dumped on the other person. It's about you coming at it cleanly and not dumping anything on the other person. It's this clean connection. Kayla, I love everything that you just said. You brought just such clarity to the entire session today. What a gift you are. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. And, and believe it or not, Linda, this is what Kayla does at the end of all of our sessions is she gives us a great summary of what we talked about for the day. So thank you for that, Kayla. As I have always, one last thing to say. Okay, please do. There's something that you said, which I think is the closeout line because I wrote this down, which is that everybody needs to hear this. You have the ability to bring yourself back into sync. And that has to be your message is that you have the ability to bring yourself back into sync no matter what is happening, both inside and outside of you. But you have to pick up the tools to do it. You have the ability to bring yourself back into sync. That is the message of today. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Dominique. But I also want to thank our guest, Linda Aber. Thank you so much for coming today and, and teaching this. I have really good feelings about this podcast uh, moving forward. I know that you came and visited the REST meeting and you gave a whole learning session and people were just scrambling to attend the meeting and hear what you had to say because family members and allies struggle with this. This is it. This is the beginning of everything is us learning how to regulate ourselves so that we are better able to interact and affect and influence in a positive way um, and really be helpful. So thank you, Linda. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. It was just uh, such a pleasure to be with you. I love you and I love the work that you're doing and bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. You're a gift, Linda. Thank you. And I want to just remind our listeners that we have a 10-day challenge um, on the Allies in Recovery website. So if you can complete half of the modules in a 10-day period of time, you earn a one-day training, a five-hour training, which is very immersive into craft. And it is typically worth about $250, but you get it for free. So uh, make sure and go take a look at our offer. And and become a member, become a part of our Allies in Recovery community. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, 
please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.